Good to see you this morning. If you're a first-time guest, we just want to welcome you especially and tell you that we are glad to have you with us today. Uh, And we pray that this service is a blessing to your soul. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, or I should say we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, If you've not done your Bible reading yet today, you're going to get some today. So we're going to be all over the word today, but we're going to start and be launching out in Hebrews 13. Uh, As I was thinking about New Year's Day, I mean, New Year's Day on a Sunday doesn't happen all that often. Uh, Oddly enough, I actually preached the last time uh, New Year's Day was on a Sunday in a different church. But uh, but anyways, it's interesting. It's not going to happen again for 11 or 10 years. I think 2033 is the next time New Year's Day hits a Sunday. But I was thinking about like, so what do you say on New Year's Day and and what might be like an encouragement to start the day? Because I always love New Year's. I mean, as a kid, I remember uh, we, we would always go to this family's house in our church. My dad's a pastor. So we'd always go over to this family's house, us and a few other uh, families would get together and the parents would play uh, games and then we would play like, you know, Nintendo, like the 8-bit Nintendo, right? Are you tracking? Who, who here no- played like Duck, uh, Duck Hunt, right? Mario Brothers? Yeah, so we'd play that uh, while they would play games upstairs. Um, and so like, I just had great memories of that. It was like one of the only times I got to stay up to midnight. And uh, so how many of you in here stayed up till midnight central time last night? I need to know where I need to look, make sure if you're not sleeping or nodding off. Okay. So, I mean, I always had a great time and I love just the freshness of a new year. I mean, it's weird. It's like the, the calendar moves over one second and all of a sudden everything's new and bright and amazing and so much opportunity. But I do think it's good. It's refreshing to think about new goals or new vision for your life or maybe maybe just like new motivations that you have, new things you want to get started. I mean, you see a lot of new things this time of year, new beginnings. Some of you are going to join a gym. Some of you are going to start going to the gym you've been donating to <laughs> for years. You know, it's just, that's the way it is. It's, it's, it's exciting time of year, new beginnings, fresh starts. They're all good. And we all are encouraged and need a fresh start every now and then. But I think the reality for a lot of us, I mean, I'm 42, this has been the case pretty much my whole adult life, is that at some point in the new year, you begin to see some things and you begin to think, you know, I started out new year, new me, but now it kind of feels like new year, same me, right? It it kind of feels like eventually, you know, the reality is like two things I think can happen. Number one, you either don't hit your goals. I saw uh, Kerry Newhoff, who's a leadership uh, kind of guru uh, in, in the social media space. He said this week, uh, 92% of people that set New Year's resolutions don't hit them, 92%. So I, I'm not trying to be a downer on you, just trying to say like the reality is at some point this year, you're probably gonna see like I didn't end up getting where I wanted to go. But the other reality I think is like, there's been times in my life that I actually have seen um, New Year's resolutions stick for a while. And, and the reality I think a lot of times for us is that we either don't hit the goal and we think, man, it's a new year, but it's the same me. Or you do hit the goal, but you still kind of feel like it's still the same me. Like I still feel restless inside. The, the anxiety that I had has not gone away by, by achieving this 
this monetary thing or by hitting this physique or, or by starting this business. I mean, those are good things, but in the end, like I just still feel the same. I still feel a lot of the same restlessness inside. And, and so what I want to encourage us with this morning is that it's a new year and it's good to have goals and it's good to have you motivated and it's, it's, all those things are good. But I think that if we were to say like, what would be a good foundation for 2023? Like, what should we be kind of banking on for this year? I would say this, it's the new year, but it's the same God. New year, same God. And why do I say that? Well, there's a lot of reasons to say that, but I want to read briefly to start with Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 8. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how does this promise that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how does that give us kind of a foundation for whatever 2023 might bring for us? Well, I want us to look at it in three ways. I want us to think about and consider the character of this promise, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The character of the promise. I want us to look at the challenge within the promise. And I want us to think about the confidence from the promise. So the character of the promise, the challenge kind of within the promise, and then the confidence that we can get from the promise that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and it, just to start with the character of the promise, what I would say is the character of this promise, why am I using the term character? Because I believe that what is really being said that he's unchanging is that his character is unchanging, that God, Jesus is God in the flesh, that God is unchanging yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that his character stays the same. And I just want to give a really quick caveat. Like there are entire books, there are series of, ser series of sermons on the character of God. And I'm going to try to tackle this and get you out in time for lunch. So, so I just want to say like, I'm not going to cover everything. There's going to be some of you in here that might be like, why did he spend more time on that than the other? Or why didn't he talk about this? I'm just trying to give like a really broad view of the character of God, because the idea that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we have to consider the unchanging character of God. And it appears at the end of Hebrews that the writer is using this as a closing encouragement, that we should find encouragement in this. But it's not just the writer of Hebrews that wants to encourage us in this. Think about this. In the Psalm, Psalm 102 says this, of, of, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. Verse 27, but you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure their offspring shall be established before you. Now, why don't I bring up that last verse? Because here's the thing, even for the psalmist, the idea that God is the same and is unchanging creates a confidence in the character of God. 
The fact that I will pass away, the earth will even pass away, but you, Lord, are forever. Your years have no end, and therefore I know that my children and my offspring beyond them will be established. You see, there's a There's a rootedness and a foundation in the fact that God is the same. So let's consider some aspects quickly of God's character since he is an unchanging God. And I would say, let's just start at the beginning where the Bible starts. And I would say this, the Lord is an all-powerful and wise God. The Lord is all-powerful and wise. The first verse of scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That before there was any thing physical, tangible in the earth that we would call the earth or the heavens that God preexisted that. God is eternal. He has no beginning, but he brings about beginnings. So God speaks the world into existence, the cosmos, the universe. He is powerful by the word of his mouth, the heavens, the earth were made. But that would mean that if he's the creator then he is sovereign. Sovereign just kind of means that he, he has, like no one's gonna stand up to him and be like, are you sure about that? And he's like, oh, let me, let me think about that. It's a good question. He is sovereign. He does what he pleases. This is what Psalm 115, three says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He's a sovereign God. He's a creator God. He is powerful and wise. And not just that, Psalm 135 says he stands alone as the only God. Look at what it says. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps. He it is who make the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who make the lightnings for the rain and bring forth the wind from the storehouses. He is sovereign creator, sovereign over creation. He knows these things. He's wise. And human beings, we make choices and don't mishear me. Our choices matter. They are our choices. We are we have a, an ability to, to look at life and decide what we want to do. But even Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. He is a powerful and wise God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And if that's not enough and you wanna melt your face off, read Job 38 through 41. I remember the first time I read that, my jaw hit the floor. And I had jaw surgery in high school, and that's hard to do. I mean, just God comes to Job and says, dress yourself for action like a man. I'm coming to question you. Anybody else want to be on the other side of that conversation? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the world? Surely you know. Powerful, wise, yesterday, today, forever. This is God. Yet, he's glorious and holy. And while some of that's already been made clear, I feel like, in some of the passages I've read, think about Hannah's exhortation in 1 Samuel chapter 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And if that's not, you know, like, well, okay, that's Hannah. That's her opinion. Even if it's God's word, it's her opinion. Well, look at what God says about himself. When he's talking to Moses in Leviticus 19, he says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He's a holy God. 
And Isaiah sees this firsthand when he has a vision of the temple of the throne room of God and God is on the throne and angels are flying all over the heavens and what are they proclaiming? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. He is glorious and he's holy. He's powerful He's wise. But what's interesting is when you read Isaiah 6 and he sees this vision, Isaiah's response to the holiness of God is he's undone. He's like, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live with a people of unclean lips. He's, He's taking personal ownership for his own sin. He's taking ownership corporately for the sin of Israel. And he's basically like, I should not even be here right now. And an angel flies over to Isaiah in this vision with a burning coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's mouth and says, your sins are atoned for. Interesting. God is holy and glorious, but the angel touches his mouth with a coal from the altar of sacrifice and says, Actually, your sins have been atoned for. How is that? Well, that's because the Lord is also merciful, gracious, and loving. And this is not a New Testament idea alone. I know a lot of people are like, God's cranky in the Old Testament, and he's not in the New. But, but the Old Testament, he, this is Isaiah, Old Testament. Look at the way he deals with Israel. You know, we've talked about this at some point back in 2022, but in Exodus 34:6. When God is talking to Moses and God is declaring his name, which as I said, I've told you all before, when you see Lord, all caps in your Bible, that's Yahweh, that's the covenant name of God, the way it's translated into an English translation. When he's talking about his name, look at Exodus 34, six, he says this, the Lord, the Lord, this is his name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. And Jesus' own words in the New Testament talk about his posture. We've talked about this in 2022. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, that's my teaching, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I've told you all this one too. You can tell these are resonating with my soul the last few years. He goes on to say in John chapter 6 that all the Father who all the Father give me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. He is loving, gracious, merciful. And the last thing I want us to see is is the Lord is good and is for your right joy and pleasure. Yeah, that's what I said. He's for your right joy and your pleasure. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about Psalm 107, eight. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul fill, he fills with good things. He's, he's for your right joy and your pleasure because he's good. Look at what Jesus says about himself in John chapter six. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Satisfying. He's good. He's for your right joy and pleasure. In fact, the fact that he's good, Louis Burkhoff, who's a theologian, he says this about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that perfection in God which prompts him to deal bountifully and kindly to all his creatures. Do you know that God is not against your joy and your pleasure? Do you know that? Good. Amen. From the mouths of babes, it says. He is not against your joy and pleasure. He created good food. He created the flavors that we enjoy. He created good drinks. He created beautiful mountains. He created awe-inspiring oceans. He created just breathtaking waterfalls, not so we can be like, ho-hum, oh, that's all right. For our joy, for our pleasure, this is the God that we have. He's not here to rob you of joy. And I'm just going to spend a second on this, not because I think this is the paramount of his character, but because if you're anything like me, a lot of my life has been spent thinking he's a roadblock to joy instead of the road to joy. That, that what I, the lie that I buy into as a young teenager and quite frankly still am enticed with, if we're all honest, I think a lot of us are, is that what God has set out before us as his way is a roadblock to what would actually lead us to joy and pleasure. And that's why I said that it's not, there's not that there's no joy or pleasure in the things of this world, but the reality is that it's not right joy and pleasure. And that when you pursue joy and pleasure that way, it leads to one thing and it's destruction. It's devastation. It's the end of your rope. But the answer is not that God doesn't want you to have joy or pleasure. He's not honored by you being miserable. He's honored by your right joy and pleasure in him and the things that he's called you to and he's made. He's not against it. This is the character of God this is the God that we know in the scriptures and is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And this is the promise that Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today. And he's the same today as he will be forever. Therefore, at the foundation of any expectation or hope for a new year should be trust in the character of God. New year, same God. And I think for some of us, if not many of us, we just don't take God seriously. 
We don't really live like we believe he's still glorious and holy. We don't live like he's worthy of our worship. We don't live like the reality that we say we believe is that that his ways lead to joy. That at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Instead, a lot of times we're chasing the things that he asks us not to chase. We're we're looking for rest in places that he says you're not going to find it there. We, we say we believe these things, but we live our lives in a different way. As though he's not the same today as he was yesterday. And then for others, and maybe many of us as well, we, we look at Jesus in the Gospels and we're drawn in by the way he relates to people. By his care, by his love, by his compassion. And maybe if you're an Enneagram 8 like me, you're kind of drawn in by the fact that he tells people what's up. But we're drawn into Jesus. But then when it comes to our own sin, we're like, well, I'm probably more off-putting to him than the first century sinners were. I'm sure my sin's a little bit more grievous than Israel's sins. He's gracious with them, but he'd never be gracious with me. We don't really believe that he's the same today as he was yesterday. Or maybe we picture him forgiving us, but, it, but in, in so doing, we, we think he's forgiving us more from a disposition of annoyance than compassion. Brothers and sisters, look at the character of your God. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He is not turning over a new leaf. And our rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, God's desires are going this way and ours are going another direction. And he has consistently confronted his creatures with that fact. You see him challenging all throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, God challenges the false gods of pagan countries like Pharaoh and he, he he shows his might over the false gods. He shows his might over the false prophets of Baal. But it's not just pagans. He, he rises up prophets to call his own people and to challenge them back to faithfulness, to his ways. Jonah, we talked about in 2022, challenges an entire nation through the city of Nineveh to repentance. And then you get to the New Testament. It's not like Jesus isn't a challenger. He's challenging people all the time. Look at Matthew 25 or 23, starting at verse 23. Woe to you. That means danger. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat to swallow a camel. He challenges those who would think their race and their pedigree would make them more acceptable to God as, as basically the Jews were challenging him that they're children of Abraham, they're children of the promise. This is what Jesus says to them in John chapter eight. I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies, or if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. And if I were to say I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Takes the the covenant description of God to Moses at the burning bush. Who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? I am who I am sent you. And God, Jesus says to the Jews, I am. Before Abraham even was born, I existed. I am. And you would imagine verse 59 would make sense then. They picked up stones to throw at him. Blasphemy taking the name I am, saying you're eternal. This is blasphemy. He's a challenger. He challenges the religious leaders when he heals people on the Sabbath. He challenges his hometown when he says he's the prophesied jubilee to come from Isaiah. He challenges the woman caught in adultery by forgiving her, yet calling her to sin no more. God is a challenger in the scriptures. He challenges his disciples. He's a challenger. And today is no different. Why? Because he's the same yesterday as he is today. And for Jesus, that means that we're going to feel some challenges because his ways are not, he's not going to adapt to our cultural whims. Tim Keller in his book, this is a little bit of a long quote, but I think it's really helpful. Has anybody in here seen The Stepford Wives? I mean, I'm not going to judge you. I'm just curious. I've not watched it. I just know kind of the premise Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, makes a correlation to the movie, The Stepford Wives. And here's what he says. He says, if you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? In any truly personal relationship, the other person has to be able to contradict you. For example, if a wife is not allowed to contradict her husband, they won't have an intimate relationship. Remember the movies, The Stepford Stepford Wives. The husbands of Stepford, Connecticut decide to have their wives turn into robots who never cross the will of their husbands. A Stepford wife was wonderfully compliant and beautiful, but no one would describe such a marriage as intimate or personal. Now, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibilities or crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a Stepford God. A God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or marriage. Now, I've never outraged my wife with anything, but if you can agree you might understand what he's saying. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or marriage will you know that you've gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. What he's saying is that God's gonna challenge you. And if God never challenges you, if you never feel the rub about where you want to take your life and where God is calling you to, then the question would not be who's right. The question would be like, are you actually talking to God? Or is your God, who's always your yes man, a figment of your imagination? 
Because the reality is if God is unchanging yesterday, today, and forever, and cultures change constantly, there's going to be a rub at some point. God definitely relates to his creation in different ways through covenant, like the covenant with Noah is a little different than the covenant with Abraham and the same with Moses. But in the end, his character is the same. His character of 34, 6 and Exodus that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love is the same. But notice what 34, 7 says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He's not a pushover. He will challenge us. He's going to challenge every culture that's ever existed in at least some way. And in America, we're challenged often by God. We think his sexual ethic is wrong and rigid. We don't really like the idea of loving our enemies. We're definitely not crazy about carrying our own cross and dying to self, right? This is the, this is the land of the American dream. We do what pleases us. We kind of get Psalms reversed, like we, we live on the earth and we do what pleases us instead of God living in heaven and he does what he pleases. This is where we are. I mean, and that's okay. Like that's the reality. We just got to own the fact that, hey, this is out of sync. There's going to be a challenge in every culture and every time and every place. But here's what I want to encourage you with. It is precisely because the Lord is holy and glorious, yet loving and gracious and for your joy that he is a challenging God. That's why he's a challenging God. If he was just simply holy and glorious and powerful, but not loving and gracious, he would have set you in motion, set his creation in motion and stepped back and just let us drive this thing straight into the dirt. No interaction. Why would he interact? He's holy. We're not. Let it go. Yet if he was only loving and gracious, at least the way we perceive what loving is in our culture, he would be more like, I don't want to offend them. You know, I don't want to step on their toes. I mean, I hate to like, you know, I do make them and all, but I hate to like tell them what to do or, or instruct them into real life is. I mean, how loving is that? Let's just let our kids go play in the road. It's precisely the fact that he's holy and glorious and loving and compassionate and gracious that he is going to challenge me and you. And we know this. I just kind of hinted at this. If you're a, a parent in the room or if you're an older sibling to a much younger sibling, you understand how love can provoke, you better toe the line. Not because I'm like gonna wear you out necessarily, although that could happen, but more because I want what's best for you and that is not it. Where's God challenging you? By his unchanging word and character. Where do you need to make strides in submission to him in 2023? Because there will be some for every single one of us. And his character is unchanging and that means that a challenge is going to come and we don't need to be caught off guard by all of a sudden God has a, a way of doing things that are different than mine. That should actually be a firm foundation that we're relating to a real God and not a figment of our imagination. But it should also bring us confidence. 
God's unchanging character and the way he challenges our way of thinking and living when we receive it with faith can actually give us an unshakable confidence in 2023 that could be a foundation for whatever the year brings, it may come. But how can we have such confidence? Well, look at Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Well, how does that square? If God is an all-consuming fire, as the word says, how can he not change and yet they not be consumed? Because wouldn't his holiness and their sin require some sort of rectification or atonement? And even Jesus in Matthew chapter five, in the, right after the Beatitudes in salt and light, Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law. And then verse 20, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Like whose righteousness could exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? We just read they're, they're tithing mint and dealing cumin. I mean, whoever cooked for New Year's Eve last night, were you like, here's some paprika and some paprika for God. And Here's some dill and some dill for God. I mean, we don't do that. And he's saying your righteousness should exceed theirs, even though yet he goes on to rebuke them for not actually living out lives of justice and mercy. Only one person in this life has lived his life to the standard of righteousness required, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Even in Matthew 5, he's showing them like there's a righteousness that's even higher than what you think the ultimate righteousness is but I came to fulfill the law. Every dot, every T crossed, I came to do it. And you can have a righteousness that exceeds any righteousness you ever dreamed. You see, he's the only one that actually lived the life that we could not live and did not live. But instead of shaming us for our failures, he covers our sins. In closing, the last text I want to read is how that happens. 1 John chapter, one, or chapter 2, verse 1, For my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the goal. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, this is how you find confidence. Not in your atonement for your sins, but in the atonement that was given to you and can be yours by faith in Jesus Christ. That when we sin, we have an advocate I don't know, maybe same yesterday, same today, same forever. New year, same God. We have an advocate. We have someone who advocates for us. We have someone who stands in the gap on our behalf, someone who loves and cares for us. And this Jesus gave his life as a propitiation for our sins, a removal of wrath or absorber of wrath and he is unchanging no sin 
by faith in Christ, no sin you've ever committed or will commit is too far for atoning. His death and resurrection can atone for it. No outright rebellious act is unforgivable. His death and resurrection can atone for it. He has atoned for our sins and he is our advocate, our faithful friend. And we receive it by faith and repentance. Repentance is not a work, but repentance is actual faith. That's what James would say. That when we say we, it's not just a mental ascent that Jesus took our place on the cross and that, that he absorbed the wrath we deserve for our sin. Keep in mind, he's God. This is not, I know there's a, it's not child abuse. God the Father and God the Son. He does it to himself. He absorbs the wrath that must be. Nobody wants a God who's not just. We don't. We don't want a world like that, much less a God like that. And in his justice, Jesus becomes the propitiation for our sins that we can then receive the righteousness that he displayed in his life by faith and repentance to turn away and say, I no longer want to be the God of my life. I've chased joy and pleasure in every way possible and it's only led to destruction. I need you, God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, good, holy, powerful, righteous, sovereign, I need you to step into my life when we receive it by faith. And then here's the good news. He fills you with the spirit so that over time, over a lifetime, you're transformed into the image of God, into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of New Year's every year and every day is that God is unchanging but his redeemed people are always changing into his image. And no matter how dark it might look, no matter how hard the fight might get with your flesh, you can bank on this promise because he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday today and forever. Jesus was your advocate yesterday. He's your advocate today. He's your advocate forever. Jesus was the atonement for your sin yesterday, today, and forever. And God is powerful. He is glorious. He is holy. He is loving and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he's for your right joy and pleasure yesterday, today, and forever. And you can build 2023 on that and take it to the bank. So as we close today as a, as a call to action, like what do I do with that? I think it's, first of all, if you would be in the room or watching online and say that you, you never really put your faith in Christ, then like every other week, the call to action is quite simple. Stop, what are you delaying for? This is the God of Scripture. It's the real God. 
he will challenge you. I'm not selling you a bill of goods that life's gonna be great and you're never gonna have any problems. No, we live in a broken world, but he, and he will challenge us, but here's the deal. He is, he is a foundation you can trust because he has gone the lengths that he went to save you, to be the propitiation for your sins. And if today you're in the, so you accept him by faith. And then today, if you're in the room and you, you have accepted Christ by faith, a lot of us have. Embrace the challenge this year. There's gonna be moments. Embrace the challenge. Embrace it because number one, it shows that you're dealing with a real God. Like you're not dealing with a figment of your imagination. You're conversing and having an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. So embrace that, even though it's hard. And build your foundation on him. All the goals, all the dreams that you have for 2023, there's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams. But if they are the foundation, your foundation is quite shakable. But if the foundation is built on the character of God that is unchanging from yesterday, today, and forever, come what may, you will stay on the test of time. So wherever you're at in the room, just pray that you would take a minute to converse with the living God, and then we will sing. Father, we are grateful to be in your house today. We're grateful for another day, another year to live in your world that you made, for us to, to see you, to glorify you, to see the things you made, but to glorify you, not those things. To eat and drink and and enjoy a vacation and do all these things that you've created for us to enjoy. May our worship flow up to you this year and not end restless in the things that you made because they were never meant to satisfy but to, to point us to the goodness of God. Father, would you cause us as your people to be faithful to you this year? faithful to your, your word that when we find the rub between us and the word that we would know like we're the ones that are off. Would you unite our hearts to fear and worship your name and would you never, ever, ever let us give in to the lie of the enemy that you are not gentle and lowly but that when we come to you, you will be angry God, don't let us believe that lie. May we come to you and find you gentle and lowly in heart all our days, all of the year, so that we can live for the glory of your name and all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.